0: This is an ABC podcast. Bang. 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 Bang.
1: Bang. Bang. Bang, Bang. Bang on. Hello, Zan. Hello, my fun way. How are you in Los Angeles?
0: The sun is beaming down on my face. I am in the land of fit people, <laughs> smoothies, that cost Actually, I literally got a smoothie this morning that I think cost me $50. It was called a million-dollar smoothie. I knew what I was signing up for. But oh, smoothies, sunshine, goodness. and lots of fillers surrounding me, and tacos as well, so I'm in a happy place.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. And by fillers, you mean face fillers, people that have got their faces all plumped up?
0: Yeah, like I might come back looking very different. I'm just giving you a heads up, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've got you've already looked beautiful, I, you know, I mean, but do what you want to do. <laughs> but it's certainly quite overwhelming when you're in Los Angeles, isn't it? You quite often see, I guess, what we see on TV people, but en masse and they do look a little bit different, don't they?
0: I literally thought I saw a Kardashian around the pool last night, just uh, sitting there in my hotel. But no, it was uh, actually someone who just, I think pretty much gone into a surgeon and said, I want to look like a Kardashian and she'd achieved that quite well. But it is, um, you know, the reason I'm coming here is not to sit by the pool. It's because I'm filming this take five TV show. And this morning I checked out the studio, which we're going to be shooting our first interview in, in the next day. It's In the basement of a hotel on the Sunset Strip, and Mm -hmm. it was incredible to be there because this studio, I wasn't across it before, but it's this iconic studio that's been operating for decades. And the list of people that have recorded there are like Kanye, Kylie, you know, Duran Duran, Drake, Frank Ocean, Foreigner. It's just huge. They had like, you know, platinum records. It's called Nightbird Studios. It's in the basement of the Sunset Marquee Hotel, which itself has an amazing rock and roll history. Apparently Elton John still stays there every time he's in LA. Haven't seen yep. him on this trip yet, um, but it's uh, it's an amazing space. And I tell you who else has rec- recorded there before, Britney Spears. Get out!
1: Britney, who, who of course got married. Had a
0: huge week this week. Many happy returns to Britney and Sam, who finally got married after seven years of being together, after being, you know, freed from her conservatorship. This is a big story, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's a huge story, and wonderful to see her being happy and enjoying her life, doing what she wants, and also giving us one of the best celebrity photographs on Instagram, <laughs> I think, and short short little film on Instagram that I've seen in a long time, and that was with Donatella Versace, Paris Hilton, Britney in the centre in a beautiful wedding gown. We had Madonna in her, um, I, I, I sort of call them her U two the Fly era sunglasses, so we're going back to that era. <laughs> Selena Gomez, and of course. Drew Barrymore, all of her besties, although I suspect Selena Gomez was not her bestie because she hadn't met her Oh my God, yes. Okay, so
0: can we just unpack the the text on that? Because I was like, hang on a minute. She's like, said something like, she's even more beautiful in real life. I'm like, okay. So she invites her and meets her for the first time at her wedding. That's just going from zero to hero very quickly.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I think I looked into it further, of course, and I think she was invited to sing. That's why she was there, but Ah. it looked like a posse of people that you'd, if you want any kind of gossip from the 2000s to 2010, you'd want to get around because um, that was an amazing crew, absolutely amazing crew. And they all did Madonna's Vogue and it was one of the weirdest moments on Instagram I've seen in a long time. It's, <laughs> don't just stand there, let's get to it. It's a there's nothing to it, Vogue. And it just <laughs> felt like... Like no, I don't know what was going on there. I think maybe they were all, the rest of them were a bit embarrassed around Madonna. Madonna didn't want to do it, um, but good on them. They seemed like they were having a fun time. So I wonder I'm just was no Britney, videos of, of Britney though
0: singing. There's no Britney songs being performed at her own wedding. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? If you're going to perform Madonna songs, but not you know the the guest of honor, the bride,
1: no Britney songs at the wedding. I think Selena Gomez sang a Britney song at the wedding. Oh, okay. I'm not entirely sure which one, but I think she did. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm just happy for her, happy for them, glad they had a nice time. I don't think there (laughs) was too many other... Too many other people there other than the five invited lady guests. That's pretty much all I saw.
0: Well, there definitely wasn't any family, that's for sure. And Brittany has been going off now that she can speak her mind. You absolutely know she does on her Instagram. She has since deleted it, but she went on a a very long explanation about how her brother Brian, who made a post himself saying that there was, or I think his wife did, saying that there was a conflict, which meant that he couldn't make the wedding. Um, She clapped back at that and said, "Uh uh-uh, you were never invited, Brian, and none of the family... Uh, were invited to the wedding, which is unsurprising because she's obviously gone head-to-head with them. You definitely feel, at least from Brittany's perspective, and it, and it seems to be backed up by many others, that there was a, a very much an exploitation of her as the workhorse of the family by all members who lived very mm. wonderful lives while she was trapped in this conservatorship, um, and no way was she going to be inviting them to that that special day. So it looked like a great party in a tent, Very low-key. You know, you see a lot of celebrity weddings and, I mean, low-key in a way that she had a princess carriage and covered the whole of the house in flowers. But, you know, on a celebrity level, quite low-key, I thought. Yeah.
1: Yeah, low-key, subtle, just celebrating love, which I think is a beautiful thing. We're going to talk a little bit
0: about love today. Love is love, quite specifically, with one of the biggest stories of the week, which is Rebel Wilson. But before we get to that, one of the other big stories that, that came out this week was... Well, a new single from Lizzo called Girl where she's kind of flipped the Beastie Boys song Girls, which if you've ever listened to in the last little while, it's shocking. It's incredibly misogynistic. Mm. It's a shit song from Licensed to Ill. They've definitely learnt from their mistakes. But she's kind of sampled that song and, and flipped it into a, you know, girl power anthem. But along the way she's used an ableist slur in the first line and I was shocked when I heard this. I was like, 2022?
1: Really? Lizzo? Really? Mm. It's Mm. wild. Yeah, it certainly is. But she was informed of it really, really quickly and gave a great response on social media, I think, it's a way to do an apology with with openness and honesty. And she said this, It's been brought to my attention that there is a harmful word in my new song, girls. Let me make one thing clear. I never want to promote derogatory language. As a fat black woman in America, I've had many hurtful words used against me, so I overstand the power, not just understand, but overstand the power words can have, whether intentionally or in my case, unintentionally. I'm proud to say that there's a new version of Girls with a lyric change. This is the result of me listening and taking action. As an influential artist, I'm dedicated to being part of the change I've been waiting to see in the world. Lizzo. I think that's a great apology. It's how it should be done.
0: And the song hadn't been released in any physical form, so she was able to change it. It had only gone out on digital services. She's updated the song. She's responded to that. I'm kind of curious about whether that word is used in North America because in Australia that you, word has been used as a slur and that's also something that you, the people who use it absolutely understand what that, that slur is. But one of the people that contacted Lizzo on Twitter to explain why the word had upset people as a woman called Hannah Diviny and and she explained you know as she told the BBC that cerebral palsy is literally classified as spastic diplegic cerebral palsy which basically means that I have spasticity or tightness in my legs. so she went out of her way to explain that to to Lizzo and how she, it's something that she has no control over it makes her life very difficult and painful you know it's It's, it was weird to see Lizzo use that word suggesting that someone's lost control or had an emotional outburst because that's not what it's like. You know, that's not what her life as a disabled person is. But her explaining that to Lizzo does that speak to a, an understanding or a, a lack of understanding of what that actual word means? Because I can't. The really, last time I heard that word in a song was literally a song called that word that Nerd put out in two thousand and eight, which we don't mm. play on the radio anymore. But it was played then, and even then, I was like, "Really? Is this song happening? Like, what is that word even used for in America?"
1: Yeah, I don't think it is or has been traditionally used. Like it has been in Australia as a slur, and and in other parts of the Western world as a slur. I think in in North America it might they might not um, be aware that it's been used as a slur as much as perhaps we are here. And because I don't, I, I, Lizzo doesn't strike me as someone who would go out and and do something like this intentionally if she'd known. Given mm. her apology and the nature of, of her apology, I mean she's she's spoken about her, uh, her own. Her own experiences and and how she wants to be part of the change she's been waiting to see. So I suspect it's it doesn't have the same connotations there, but i I, I, I couldn't tell you, really, guarantee. I couldn't I certainly that.
0: saw a very large reaction from um certain artists who who are you know live with disability, people like Bats, who's an Australian artist, who was pretty shocked and disgusted by hearing it, uh, many people that you know I work with as well, just going, hang on a minute, what's what's going on here? Yeah. So if this experience as as ugly as it was, true, she did respond in you know a quick time and, and changed it but you also hope that through this tough experience that, that the knowledge of why this word is is so offensive to so many people living mm. with disability um, means that it won't happen again. It's certainly strange to hear it in 2022,
1: um, but hopefully it's a learning curve not just for Lizzo but for a lot of other people as well. Absolutely. And a learning curve for people who if they do make a mistake like this, whether intentional or unintentional, if you're going to apologise, do it properly, mm. unlike what has happened recently to Rebel Wilson. Oh my <laughs> god. Nice segue. Aye. What an absolute shamozzle. You say schmozzle, I was gonna say shit show. It's <laughs> it's an it's an utter, utter mess. The outing of Rebel Wilson by the Sydney Morning Herald and the reprints, of course, in Melbourne where I live in the Age newspaper. Um has been well, it's been dealt with appallingly and apologies were not forthcoming in the same very fast way that Lizzo's was, that's for sure.
0: So it all began with Andrew Hornery about a week ago and I'm mentioning this because this piece has now been taken down and replaced with his apology. So you can't find it online. I mean, I'm sure you could, but it's certainly not linked directly from the the SMH website. In a perfect world, outing same-sex celebrity relationships should be a redundant concept in 2022. Love is love, right, he says. As Rebel Wilson knows, we do not live in a perfect world. And then he goes on and talks about how he has an abundance of caution and respect in seeking to write this story, but then also explains that he gave her two days to respond to what is, you know, something you do with journalistic integrity. You ask a question, you give them the chance to respond in in general cases. I don't think that applies here, though, and I think this is where he made his mistake. And also this really weird paragraph where he talked about towards the end how Rebel Wilson had identified publicly as a heterosexual woman mm. and then says it's unlikely she would have experienced the sort of discrimination, let alone homophobia, subconscious or overt, that sadly still affects so many gay, lesbian and non-hetero people. And I found that so strange because yeah, it was like, and he's a gay man and he's openly gay and that is known, but it was almost like you haven't suffered so you're going to be okay <laughs> or we had to suffer so you get it as well i don't i don't know this is all my interpretations but it just it it minced so harshly when i when i read that yeah almost like she can take being outed and other people have had it hard so why wouldn't you and all of that yeah. kind of comes down to is that this perception of the public property that you are as a celebrity and how that applies to the world of your sexual orientation which i think is just a step too far in in a world where sadly people are still vilified for how they live their lives a global star like rebel wilson in certain countries would face very big and sometimes violent discrimination for living the life that she lives happily you know it's it's just it was just a weird weird response and it it kind of had my head spinning and i think
1: i wasn't alone with that one not alone at all. Um, forcing anybody's hand to discuss anything, I think, of a personal nature is number one. That's a no. Uh, it's not. It's not your right um, to know personal information, regardless of how famous any person is. Um, and I also feel like there's a real lack of understanding of of what people face when they deem it's the right time to to come out or to share that kind of personal information. We don't know what's going on in Rebel's life. We don't know anything about her family, whether or not she'll suffer even prejudice within her own family for this. Um, I hope hope not, but but there's reasons why people don't come out. There's reasons why they choose to do it at their own time and I I think it's like talking... It's like we've been discussing recently the way... The media discusses people's looks or body type or um, anything of a really personal nature as if it's public property. And and I think it's time for that stuff to, to be shelved. All of it, whether you choose to be with who you choose to be with, is not anybody's business until you make it. People's business. You get to choose that. It's mm. it's not up to, it's not up to gossip columnists to to out somebody in twenty twenty two. It's just appalling.
0: Nikki Bath wrote a great piece for the Sydney Morning Herald. Funnily enough, um, she's the chief executive officer of LGBTIQ plus Health Australia, so she is keenly aware of the mental health effects that you know coming out have on many people. And, and she was saying that, you know, even up until recently there's a spike. There's about 10% of calls to Q Life, which is a support service, a uh, national teleweb service for support for um, the queer community, that about 10% of those calls are about coming out for both sexual orientation and, and for gender. And they also saw a spike in those calls coming out last month into 14%, which she puts down to the negative commentary about trans women in sport and trans young people, mm-hmm. which was around the time of the, the election. So she's, you know, we're in 2022, Andrew Hornery is talking about how these things don't matter anymore. Again, missing the point that it's not your story to tell, buddy. But that consistent 10%, which she refers to, tells that it's still, you know, it's we still need support and understanding for, for people who... Are, Are coming out or who choose to come out or choose not like straight people don't come out you don't have to tell people about your personal life and I don't know why there's Mm. this obsession that you know media has with understanding what someone's orientation is gender or sexual or otherwise Mm. and why it applies to the queer community so intensely a community that is time and time again vilified and so vulnerable to all of these these experiences, you know, people need to do it on their own terms. So it's, yeah, again, 2022, it's like, why are we doing this? It was just really terrible. And then Bevan Shields' response was just absolutely atrocious too, which he's then apologised to his first response. It's kind of like we talked about Lizzo learning and we talk a lot about people learning and taking things, you know, to a better place, but there's a certain point where you can see why certain communities are like, we're sick of educating you. Just don't do Like yeah. just get better at this, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the article itself, Bevan Shields, who is the editor of Sydney Morning Herald, has written, note to subscribers, what we got wrong with the Rebel Wilson story. So this was not even necessarily an apology. It was to the people who buy us, not not the rest of the world and the message that your publication is putting out, but the people who pay for us. So we want to look after the people who we pay for. And And Bevan does acknowledge that the Herald has a very dark history when it comes to outing people. Um, he wrote himself via the publication of the names, addresses and occupations of dozens of people who marched in the 1978 gay and lesbian Mardi Gras in 2016. Our editor-in-chief at the time, Darren Goodsir, apologised for that wrong. So that happened in 2016. They are well aware of the damaging effects of outing people without their knowledge or consent and... I think the fact that Bevan Shields doubled down and then, and then backed off, say, justifying, there was, there was a quick justification of the printing of the article and then the apology. I, what I'm frightened of is that this just feeds the beast. They do this in order to, well, they see that they get the traffic mm. in terms of clicks and then they keep getting the traffic by printing more mm. and more. And more. And in the end, no one knows what these clicks are for when it comes to paying for advertising. Mm. It just raises their numbers to a huge amount. So people will think that that particular website or publication has huge engagement. Not because it's great engagement. It's because people are reading something that is controversial and therefore they want to know about. So it feeds the beast in a way that it seems to me... I don't, it, it's quite terrifying in that this stuff is bad and shouldn't be happening, but it will keep happening until we know exactly how they use the information that they get on the, on the traffic for their websites and that they sell to advertisers. So in a way, something like this works for the Sydney Morning Herald. It's financial and that reward. Is, and that's a tragedy because mm. people's lives are involved in this.
0: There's a couple of great pieces. One of them is in the SMH, which I just mentioned, Um, but there's another great one by the ABC's music and pop culture reporter, Mano Bobo, which is a really personal reflection. She spoke with Becky Cole, who came out a few years ago. Um, She was uh, going to be outed by a Sydney newspaper, of which is not named. She asked them to not do that, and they listened to her. But um, Becky Cole is is a gay woman, and she reflected on her experience choosing to share when she wanted to come out both of them are really great I'll put them in the show notes oh we know what that means it's a fashion update and we've been a little bit thin on the ground this is I'm going to say this is a lateral fashion update because it's almost like a bit of a um a scolding (laughs) <laughs> mm. off the back, off the back of a quite um headline event at the Met Gala when Kim Kardashian was wearing what we at the time called a dress you could get from Dotty for 60 bucks but actually That's was right. in the millions and originally yep. worn by Marilyn Monroe.
1: <laughs> That's right. Um it was worn for President John F Kennedy's birthday in 1962 when she's sang happy birthday Mr. President and our infamous moment. Um, and Kim wore it to the 2022 Met Gala and she was basically poured into this dress at the venue. They put it on her body and, and she, she quite publicly boasted about having to starve herself in order to get this dress on. It wasn't, it wasn't designed to fit her at all. And I I don't think we need to talk about the fact that she, she publicly kind of, She was pleased about the fact that she had to starve herself to get into that dress because that's no good in anyone's books. But it was was poured onto her. She wore it for a short period of time. It's been handed back to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, which is...
0: (laughs) HPS, I, I didn't, real, didn't realise that they were the owners of it and that just made me smile when I heard
1: about that. I know, Just imagine know. her wandering
0: down to like um, <laughs> the cheesy part of Hollywood with all the stars and she just walks in the door and looks at the dress and goes, I'll take that one.
1: I'll take that one. <laughs> well, when it was handed back, the photographs have come through to show that the dress has suffered quite a bit of damage given it's been poured onto her body. And even though there was a representative from the museum there, a curator of costumes, I would imagine, these sort of garments are so delicate, so incredibly delicate. They're only being handled by a very minimum number of people in their lifetime since their purchase, I would imagine, and they're kept in temperature-controlled rooms and and storage areas, so there's no interference from, from... rips or tears or your hands, anything. And we saw the footage online of Kim getting zipped up or or kind of buttoned into this dress and it looked pretty brutal actually and the damage has come back quite significant. There's there's tears in the material, uh, around the buttons, there's a lot of pulling and people are either up in arms or don't care necessarily about this. Um, Which camp are you in, Zan? What do you think?
0: I don't think it ever should have been lent to her because it's like well in, you know in the in the piece that I read about it the International Council of Museums said that historic garments should not be worn by anyone private or public figures because it's about anything that's in a museum is there to be preserved for future generations to enjoy not one person to wear as a statement piece and to do that you need to you know wear the white gloves put it in a temperature sealed container preserve it not whack it on for the med gala on the red carpet um, it just seemed like a misstep and just so unnecessary. And it reminded me of at the time as well, we we, we spoke about it the day that it happened. Um, obviously, we were looking at it, <laughs> not knowing what it was. But that oh weekend, Virginia Trioli writes a great analysis each weekend for the ABC's Weekend Newsletter. And, and she wrote an, an amazing piece titled... Kim Kardashian's Monroe moment at the Met Gala shows money influence and Instagram can get you what should be untouchable and she very much interrogated that point of how we protect history for everyone not gift it to for it to be necessarily re- redesigned for the very very rich for the yeah. for the you know the very privileged is a fantastic piece i'm very much kind of paraphrasing what she wrote and I'll put that in the in the show notes. But yeah, I just don't think it was it was worth it. And I'm still surprised that they did it. I'm still surprised that, that it went through that many people that are like, Oh yeah, this is a good idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean we can't get our hands on anything necessarily and yet if you've got enough cash then it seems all bets are off. It's interesting, though, at the time when we saw Kim and, and saw the dress and the era in which it came from, none of us could work out what it's got to do with the Gilded Age. And the Gilded Age, of course, was the post-Civil War boom time in New York City where it was full of all these entrepreneurs making heaps of coin. They were they were social climbers. It was new money versus old money, and I'll, I'll talk about that because I, I, the television show The Gilded Age is what I'm banging on about this week. Perfect. But, but in a way... Uh, Virginia Trioli really nailed why I, I didn't quite understand how this costume worked within the context of the Gilded Age because a 60s dress is not really the brief. Um, but Virginia's written, if anyone, if ever anyone nailed the brief of that event, it was this young woman in a famous dress that didn't fit her, raided from a museum that should have known better. So it, it really encapsulates that whole money talks, bullshit walks thing, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. There's an amazing piece. Um, That dress has changed forever, however you feel about it. It is altered forever. I'll put both of those pieces in the show notes. Before we get into your brilliant bang on, I'm very excited about The Gilded Age because I've (laughs) not not yet stepped towards it, so I'm curious about what you think. But you sent me a very funny piece, which I think a lot of people will relate to, about whether or not we need the little handful of leaves on the side of our – schnitty or palmer or steak our pub meal when you get basically a massive plate of yellow food and then a handful of bagged leaves seems that not Mm. everyone's going for the bagged leaves anymore
1: I I don't like the angle you're taking on this Anne. I feel like it's (laughs) negative before we're even arriving at a point in this discussion you're just saying bad leaves it's lettuce no I mean bagged as in leaves from a bag Oh, I thought you said bad lettuce. No, I love lettuce. I love lettuce. (laughs) Lettuce from a bag. Oh, bagged lettuce. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. um, Yeah. Restaurants are complaining because lettuce is costing a bomb at the moment given the shortages due to the floods and uh, the weather, the extreme weather that we've been having. And pubs are, are, are a little upset that all this money is essentially going down the drain because no one eats the lettuce. Mm. When they get their schnitzel or their parma or whatever it is that they get because they don't want the lettuce, really. It's just for show and therefore it's wasted and therefore they're losing – they're basically throwing money into the bin. Um, I'm I'm here to get very upset about this. Don't take away my lettuce. It's It's the only only thing that
0: makes you feel like you're not just eating yellow stodge. I always eat the lettuce.
1: Always. Even if I don't want to, I eat it because – Otherwise, what are you putting in your body? You've got, to, you've got to at least pretend that you care about your body, even in the, just with a mouthful of something. You can't take away my lettuce next door, Parma. I'll have no. the salad
0: with a side of schnitty and chips. <laughs> what, what size are each? It doesn't matter. I'm having a salad, right?
1: Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. It's all about it's all about us, isn't it? Um, th- there's been suggestions of alternatives, Um coleslaw uh, as an alternative. and Look, I don't mind that. That's pretty good if there's a shortage. But we need some sort of salad, some sort of green, some sort of even – or white if it is cabbage. We need some sort of not not fried business on the side. I'd say cabbage is a
0: pale pale green, a very pale green, a luminescent Mm. green. And also coleslaw is not a healthy salad. Coleslaw is the worst salad you can have. What? Really? What?
1: I've been I've been living off that for years. I think. Oh, look, that's a bit, that's kind of good for you, isn't
0: it? Hey, while we're talking it's about fresh. leaf, I had an iceberg salad today in LA, and it was a <laughs> giant aluminum bowl filled to the top with iceberg. It had other things in it, but so much iceberg, and I felt like a millionaire. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, I bet you
1: did. Well, when you say when you said I'm I, I want to talk about or talking about leaf, I thought you meant when you're in L.A. and you're having some sort of legal or medicinal marijuana. <laughs> I thought, good on you, Zan. Good I'm on you.
0: Iceberg all the way. I'm going hard on the iceberg. It's as expensive. I'm, I'm getting a, a gram of iceberg to bring home with me.
1: Oh, my God, you could probably sell that on the black market or the dark web or whatever.
0: Anyway, it was delicious. Very thirst quenching. What are you Very banging jealous. on about
1: this week? <laughs> well, I pretty much gave the game away. The Gilded Age, which is, of course, the new television series. So it's not that new, actually. And I think for the same reasons as you, I'd put off watching because of the rather negative reviews that I've mm. read around this. So I didn't watch it until I was on a plane last night. Started watching it went... Oh, my goodness, this is the show I've been missing. It is filling the um, Downton Abbey-shaped hole I have left in my heart. It's exactly the same story, exactly the same upstairs-downstairs business. It's exactly the same when it comes to the new money versus the old money. And I am here for it. I don't care. It is the same. (laughs) There's new faces, it's a different city, it's New York City and it is the social climbers, of the, the, the the New York City folk who are trying to win their way through to the established money uh, and, of course, the poor people all work and live downstairs. Uh, mm. They're the servants and... Um, Yeah, I know it's regressive and it's not really changing and that was the story and I know that that reboots are often criticised for the fact that they just repeat the same old stories but quite frankly I was ready for the same old story when it came to a Downton Abbey type tale. I'm here for it. I say give it a watch. (laughs) If you love costumes, uh, if you love beautiful homes, if you love historic sets, then I think you'll enjoy this.
0: Eye candy. I'm here for it. Okay, I have been waiting because I've also heard those mixed reviews, and I'm going to dig mm. in. I did see it on the in-flight entertainment, so maybe I'll watch it on a long-haul flight sometime
1: soon. Yeah, and look, you'll you'll be wanting to wear a bustle on your bum by the time you've <laughs> you've got through a few episodes. So I say that's a good sign. Definitely a good sign. Who's to
0: say I don't um, rock, rock the bustle already, Miff?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're wearing for your take five interviews, Zan. Things but, have changed since um, I've been in LA. <laughs> I know. I've got bustle filler
0: going on. I've got a bustle filler appointment. (laughs) Ooh,
1: I love that. I love that. I can't wait to see. Um, What are you banging on about? Uh, Well, I
0: wanted to do a quick little shout-out to you for your bang-on from I think a week or so ago where you banged on about King Richard. I did watch that, which is the film about Venus and Serena Williams and specifically their father, Richard, who was the person who very much pushed them to, you know, become pros at tennis. And I watched that on the way over and I thought it was so great. I loved it. So thank you for giving me that little tip. I really, really enjoyed it. All the performances were amazing. I also just was watching it going, hang on a minute, I love tennis. Why wouldn't I watch this? So, yeah, loved it to bits. (laughs) It was fantastic. Um, But I wanted to bang on about a very random weekend that I had just before I came over. So I've been really like laying low because I don't want to get any kind of sick before coming to the States for this event, for this shoot. And so on the weekend I had a wild time and watched Paddington, the film, for the first time. Finally, finally. I know, again, better late than never. But here to tell you, in case you missed it like I did, it is so good and to the point where I watched Paddington on Friday night and then watched Paddington 2 on Saturday night because I loved it so much and now I'm just hanging for Paddington 3, which is coming. Different director. Uh, The original director has co-written the script, which is a great sign because the scripts were excellent. But I think that I liked Paddington 2 even better than the first Paddington. It is so joyful. And you know what it reminded me of in terms of like, wholesomeness and beautifully styled and just kind of this like old-fashioned way of doing comedy which is classy and sweet and wholesome but also still sharp like still there it really reminded me of the tone of Only Murders in the Building which we both loved Mm. as well like similar kind of vibe so if you're like me and you have had your head in the sand Paddington and Paddington 2 are my bang-ons this week
1: Finally, you've come around. I actually found Paddington Two quite stressful too, quite scary. There was a moment, the underwater moment. Let's discuss. Oh yeah, that that, that hated it. It's like, gosh, I wouldn't cope as a child. I'm a nearly fifty year old woman. I can't cope now, but it's a beautiful film. It's gorgeous.
0: And why why was it not in the? Why was it not up for an Oscar, Anne? Because it's a kids' film and there's comedy in it. You can't laugh and win an Oscar at the same time. That's the rule. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> the I did love as well for the the final sequence. Like Hugh Grant is just so wonderfully camp in this film, and the final sequence in the, in the jail. I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't watched it, but just stick around and watch the credits. It is fantastic. So I better go because I need to go and see a gig from the person who I'm interviewing tomorrow. The first take five chat that we're doing tomorrow. I can't say That's anything. That's amazing. More.
1: No clues. But no clues.
0: They are playing at a beautiful theatre in Los Angeles and they're doing a three-night run. So we're seeing the first night. up.
1: can look up. (laughs) I can Google.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've given away too much. I've said too much.
1: No, I think that's okay. Um, Bang fam, no. What's what? Uh, We'll we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it we'll up if we need, it. but we won't tell anyone because we're bang fam. We're bang um, fam, exactly. Dad, have, a, have a beautiful time. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see what you come up with. It, it's going to be brilliant.
0: Thanks, babes. I'll s- chat with you next week. I'll be in Nashville, so I'll hopefully have some more celebrity spottings for you because I haven't seen any yet. Just maybe None a, yet. A, pre- a pretend Kardashian. That's about
1: as close as I've got. <laughs> I've got two words for you. Do better.
0: All right, I'm going to go to the local organic supermarket and I'm sure I'll bump
1: into some people there. <laughs> okay, okay. Love you. Travel safe. Stay well. Bye, babes. And, Love you um, too. talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bang.
0: Bang. 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 Bang.
1: Bang. Bang.
0: Bang on. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.